You had written in an article that I read that you wrote, never waste a crisis. What does that mean to you? What can we learn from that? Well, I think no matter what bad happens, and you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it is really hard to see that there is a silver lining, really hard. But my daughter's hearing loss could have been this crisis in my life, and it didn't. It became this opportunity to affect change. And not only did I change access for people with hearing loss, but I also changed my life as well. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Well, we're almost at the end of 2020. This has been a really challenging year for most of us. And I really just want to send my love out to each and every one of you. I'm praying for you to have a beautiful, healthy, joy-filled, abundant 2021. And my hope is that the show has served as companionship, as inspiration, as a way to learn new things about health and relationships, about entrepreneurship, various topics that we cover, and that it's really benefited you in some way. And hopefully added a little joy to your week when you listen. So I really also want to say thank you for being a part of the community. There are women in over 80 countries now who are tuning in. And so I take that as a sign of women really wanting to continue to awaken to what's possible in their lives and to really go for their big dreams and to live full on. And I fully support that. And there'll be more actual support next year, which I want to tell you about quickly. So there's a couple of changes happening with the show. Uh, The one thing that I can tell you right now is that the name is going to change. I will be revealing the name probably in February when everything is ready, but I'm giving myself time because there's a lot of work to be done first. And I'll explain why the name change when that time comes. But I wanted to invite you to subscribe to the show right now because my podcast producer explained to me with a name change, you need to be subscribed so that when the next interview comes out, you just seamlessly get it. You'll get the next interview right to your podcast player. You won't have to search for the show. It'll just be right there for you. So whether you're walking your dog or just out for a walk right now, doing dishes, Um, unless you're driving your car, do not do this. Otherwise, take a second if you have hands-free, look at your podcast player from wherever you tune in from and hit the subscribe button right now and we will stay connected when that change happens. The other thing I wanted to let you know is that I've been gifting my book, Design a Life You Love, A Woman's Guide to Living a Happier and More Fulfilled Life. I think I started giving it away in April or May because I really stand behind the messages in the book. It's all about self-love as a gateway to all that you desire. And it covers all aspects of life, life, love, relationships, career, body, and simplicity. And 
I intended to give it away for just a month, but with this year being so challenging, I believed in the messages in the book and that they could help others. So I decided to gift it through the rest of this year, through December of 2020. So if you would like to get your free copy, you can do so over at thegoodlifecoach.com and you'll be signed up for my weekly newsletter list where I do send out every week the current interview and I share stories and other information. Today's newsletter, I I shared something that I hope is going to resonate. It's all about waking up to your life and it's really aligned with the theme of what the show is about, but I shared about my own wake up that I had a couple weeks ago, which I'll probably do a solo episode about in the near future. But anyway, I'd love to invite you to join the community and to get your free copy of the book. Okay, so now that we've taken care of some of the housekeeping, I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, Janice Linz. She was told when her daughter was a baby that her daughter had hearing loss and that she would require special needs schools and the doctor was already putting limitations on her child. And Janice wasn't having any of that. And it lit a fire under her. And she's going to tell you the story of how she became the CEO of a company called Hearing Access and Innovations, which is the only company dedicated to helping the world's businesses, cultural and entertainment institutions, government agencies, and mass transit organizations to improve their accessibility for people with hearing loss. And her mission is so important, and I actually learned a lot, and I believe you will as well. She's also a travel consumer education writer and has traveled to 194 countries, territories, and unrecognized nations, which I found really interesting. So we're going to jump right in today and welcome Janice to the show. Welcome, Janice. Thank you so much, Michelle, for having me. I'm excited to join you. Yeah, I'm really impressed and um, grateful for the work that you're doing in the world. Can you tell us a little bit about your company and what prompted you to launch it? Well, um, I had or have a daughter with a hearing loss. And when my daughter was diagnosed, moments after the pediatrician diagnosed her, she said, don't worry, there are special schools for her. And I didn't understand why I hadn't even wrapped my head around the diagnosis and already the bar was lowered for her entire life. Mm. And I'm a New Yorker. We don't settle. And <laughs> like, I, I was like, what do you mean special life? So I, I was like, I, I couldn't even process what was being said to me and what was happening. And so once I s- situated her with her hearing aids in school, I decided that, okay, now I can focus on how we're going to live. And that involved figuring out access for my daughter. And so that's what I worked on was access. And I decided that, you know, the audiologist um, that she went to at the time had a sign on her door, you know, the typical Gandhi's quote, be the change you want to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I may be butchering it, but I decided, you know what? I, if I don't do it, who is going to do it? So I decided I was going to be that change. Wow. I didn't realize where, where I was going to end up with it. But it, I just thought I can't, no one likes whiny people who just complain. And so I couldn't be the person who just complained about the lack of access. Um, I'm a doer and problem solver. So I decided I would solve the problems that I didn't understand existed. 
Okay, so that's really fascinating. And I love that your passion and wanting uh, more access for your daughter to have access to what everyone else has, that he doesn't have hearing disabilities, right? So what was your first step? So it started with her religious school. Um, she didn't want to go because she said, I can't hear. I said, nice try. Since the beginning of religion, kids have tried to get out of religion. I don't care what your religion is. Kids <laughs> want to get out of re religious school. So I went to the, um, to the head of it and they said, no problem. We'll add the access. I said, oh, too bad. Lost that one. Um, but then I thought, well, that wasn't that difficult. So through the connection of, for us, it was a temple. Um, I realized that I could leverage, and a very prominent temple in Manhattan, I could leverage that connection of the temple to other places that might be connected to the temple. So I started working on theaters because they were, the owners were connected to the temple. And I started looking, okay, who else is connected to that temple? that I could then approach because I could ask the rabbi for help for an introduction, or I could mention it and, you know, we're part, part of the community. And so that's where I started working. And then I realized that once I did the, the theaters, then I could leverage that against, let's say, Lincoln Center or the 92nd Street Y, because one theater is connected to the other theater, you know, in terms of people knowing each other. And I just realized that the easiest way to solve problems was by leveraging successes. And so that's what I did. In fact, I just wrote an article about that for Thrive Global. And what was the article? It was about how um, I took, so in another time where I was having problems with National Park Service, um, someone at the National Parks told me, if you want to elevate your complaints on the lack of access for people with hearing loss at the National Parks, there is a federally mandated timeline when you file it as something called a 504 complaint, um, being 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. And if you put that in the subject line, suddenly a federally mandated timeline is imposed. And so instead of your um, complaint languishing in some, and maybe one day someone would answer, suddenly when you put the 504 on it, suddenly there is a mandated timeline where they need to respond within a certain time. Mm. I love that. I thought that was fabulous. So, and they said, and file them individually because then there'll be more of them and it doesn't get, you know, it's hard when you put all your national parks in one, you know, complaint, right? It's hard to untangle it. So file each one individually. And what I didn't realize is I filed so many, I was asked to testify before the National Park Service Subcommittee in Congress because they wanted to know why I was filing so many complaints all of a sudden out of nowhere. And so after I testified, I ended up working um, with someone, they asked someone from the national parks, they agreed with what I stated. Um, and so they asked to work with me to help solve the problem. And after working with someone named Donald Murphy from the national parks, he was the deputy director of the national parks in the middle of the project, he left to become the executive director of the Freedom Center in Ohio. And the person who left that job um, as executive director was John Pepper, the former CEO of Procter & Gamble. And he went on to become the chairman of Disney. So I worked with Don at the Freedom Center and then asked him, would you mind introducing me to John Pepper at Disney because there are some issues at Disney? They had access in Hong Kong, but not in the States. And I didn't know why. It was because they had no idea that it was in Hong Kong. The two silos didn't discuss it. So 
I worked with John Pepper and after we resolved the issues and now um, there are ticket windows at all the Disney owned parks, except for Tokyo, which is not Disney owned. Um, I asked John Pepper, I looked at Disney's board to see who was on their board that could help me on another project. And I saw Steve Jobs at the time when he was alive was on their board. And so I thought, wow, my daughter's having issues at Apple. And so I said, John, would you mind introducing me to Steve Jobs so I can work on these issues at Apple? And so he said, let me see what I can do. And the next thing I knew, someone from Apple um, who headed all of retail for Apple, Matt Hayes, contacted me. Someone from England um, came over and we had a meeting at the downtown Soho store. And it turned out Apple, like Disney, had the same thing. The hearing access was in the UK just not in the US and the US had no idea. And so they added the access. And then we talked about um, here going entering the hearing aid market, which they subsequently did. But all of that happened just from leveraging one success to another. Oh, I love this. This is so good, Janice. So that's such a great story. And it's making me think that, you know, sometimes people don't implement things or do things just because of ignorance, like they're just not thinking about it. And by having uh, someone like you with a, a passion to make things better, you created awareness, but you went to the top. You didn't start at the bottom. And I know that a woman who introduced us, Dr. Ruth Gautian, who was on the show, wrote an article about you um, in Forbes. And I remember when I read the article, I remembered my grandmother, my Nana, who always said, if you want something done, you go to the head, not the tail. Oh my God, that's great. Yeah, but it, that's translated. It was from another language and my mom used to translate it. She said, essentially, that's what it translates to. Go to the top, not the bottom. Go to the head versus the tail um, because that's how things get done. But I think a lot of times things aren't happening because people aren't aware. So what I'm just curious, because you talked about your daughter's school, the religion school, and then going into the theaters, what is missing and what is the solve that's being created in these situations for people with hearing loss? So the biggest problem with people with hearing loss is first, it's an invisible disability. You can't see like the wheelchair, right? Which makes it obvious. Mm. So when people consider disabilities, the word access has actually come to mean in some people's opinion, physical access. And I'm the person reminding me them, no, access does not mean physical access. It means access. It's the removal of barriers for all people with disabilities. When they consider hearing loss, they focus on deafness. Because again, you could see that. You could see the sign language. You can't see the hearing aids. And so my role is to remind people it's um, a spectrum. And depending where you are in the spectrum, what level, what access you need. And what I've done is I've created something called the three-prong approach. So you need three types of access every time this sound, whether human or audio. You need an audio, bringing the sound to a person's ear, mm -hmm. visual captioning, and qualified interpretation sign language. And so if you, because depending on where you are in that spectrum, which access you'll need. So you need all three to reach the entire spectrum. And so my role has been to help people understand how to implement all three. But I will say, since I've developed the three-prong approach and written guidelines about this, people at least are starting to understand that. 
Sometimes it's intentional that they leave out one because they think it's like a menu where you pick and choose Yeah, and it's not. And explaining to people that um, one of the things people leave out is the audio and they'll say, well, we have captions, but then I will say to them, oh, if sound's not important, shut the sound for everybody. Oh, no, no, no. They'll say, we need sound. Oh, but you're telling people with hearing loss, they don't need sound. So are you editing the experience for that? Mm. And then suddenly they get it, right? Because, and and sometimes then they will say we have sound, but that doesn't help other people. And then they think we have captions, but people with sign language like to have sign language because captions are flat, right? Mm -hmm. If you read my, um, what I'm saying, you wouldn't hear the passion in my voice. I would just sound, you know, dull. Where when you speak to me about anything, I have passion in my voice. That's just the way I speak. And that comes through in sign language because you'll see like sign language interpreters, you'll see how they move their body. So it adds feeling. Now, if you can't, you don't know sign language, right? And you can't don't have residual hearing, then you have to use this, the captions. But each group wants the access they need and want, not having someone else tell them what they need. And so reminding people of that is a tiresome project sometimes because people um, right now you would think things would be easier because of Black Lives Matter, but somehow um, disabilities has moved to um, become less important because some organizations are focusing so heavily on race, they're forgetting about people with disabilities. I had one organization tell me, oh, well, we're busy with 2021 for Black Lives Matter. We maybe could do disabilities in 2022. And I I was like, you didn't really just say that. Like, (laughs) would you accept that if I ever said that to you about race? No, then please don't say that about disabilities. It's not an option. And by the way, there's an Americans with Disabilities Act that's now 30 years old. It's very hard to get people to understand that. And, you know, solving this is it's complicated. It sounds very complicated. And and what are some of the common misconceptions about hearing loss? Anything, you know, just to educate the women listening, because like I said before, I think sometimes it's just we don't think about stuff or there's just lack of knowledge. People are just ignorant to the situation. So they don't even understand or aren't even thinking about hearing loss, even on a spectrum. Right. That's like most people don't realize it. Yeah. Well, one, they think hearing loss is sign language and they'll say, um, you know, we have sign language and I'm like, but that doesn't reach So they don't seem to connect like their grandmother, let's say, or might wear hearing aids, but doesn't know sign language. Somehow that there is a disconnect uh, on that. Um, Secondly, older adults only have hearing loss. They'll say, oh, I know from my grandmother, as if nobody who is younger and only 30% above age 65 has some form of hearing loss. The vast population with hearing loss is below 65, which is shocking to most people. That's, I've never known that stat. That is shocking. I, I think I did have the assumption that it was absolutely people who are elderly. Exactly. Um, another is that if you shout at a person, that that will make them hear better, except what happens is you distort the language when you shout at people. Um, then people think that a person with hearing loss is stupid because if they don't hear you, they can't respond, right? Or they, if they heard you incorrectly because they're not wearing hearing aids for whatever reason, 
someone thinks they're stupid. They're not stupid. They just didn't hear you. So it's kind of like if I called you and said, Michelle, and you didn't turn around, and then you would say to me, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you, right? Same with a person with a hearing loss. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means you didn't hear a person. Mm -hmm. The other is that people with hearing loss are rude or pushy because they tend to position themselves, let's say, in a group towards the front Mm -hmm. because they want to make sure they can hear. They want to make sure they can read the lips. Um, And so sometimes that comes off as pushy and rude. Um, And so that's that's frustrating. Um, And then finally, that hearing aids and cochlear implants, which um, is another way to receive hearing if you can't hear, restores hearing. It doesn't restore hearing. It's not like putting on glasses. It, mm-hmm. It's different. Um, and it's hard to explain the difference, but it, it's not exactly the same. So those are like, um, I would say the main issues with misperceptions. Yeah, those are some big ones though. I mean, I'm glad you're sharing because people have more awareness. And has there been enough of an advance in the hearing aids um, and the implants to help people? Like you mentioned, uh, working with Apple, um, with the technology, I mean, sometimes people could forget to like work on things that, how many How many people, do we know how the, the data on how many people, at least in the United States, have hearing loss? Um, at least 48 million. But the problem wow. is it's hard to know how many people because many people who have hearing loss don't identify as hearing loss. So think about all the people we know who should wear hearing aids who don't. Mm -hmm. If you ask them, do you have a hearing loss? Like my mother was one of those people. She Mm -hmm. would say, no, I don't. If she shouted any louder through the phone when she was alive, like you could have heard her in San Diego, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it it was like, of course you have a hearing loss, but she couldn't admit it. So somebody, it's so it's underestimated Mm -hmm. because not everyone self-identifies. And so that's problematic. Um, and I'm sorry, I forgot the question. Well, I was just curious if the technology has improved. So it's improved, but not as dramatic. It's definitely improved, but not as dramatically as let's say an iPod, uh, iPad or a cell phone. And part of that is because the FDA, um, regulates hearing aids, they have to pass. If they change too much, then they would need require testing. And so the companies don't want to spend all that money on testing. So they pass the hearing aids under something called the functional equivalency of their predecessor. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they don't advance too much or they would need testing. So they have to move like a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So that testing, while it's meant to protect people, has actually come to hinder the advancement of hearing aids. Okay. So... Uh, now I'm curious, just in terms of your own journey, at what point did you start your company though? So you started just, you know, reaching out for your daughter's experiences, but then you went more broadly knowing you were impacting this and helping people with hearing loss, not just your your child. So when did it become a, an actual, like, I need to create a company and go bigger on this? Well, it was interesting because I never started this to be a company. It was more organic. It was just kind of fell into place. Mm. But at some point, you know, after my divorce, I realized I had to, you know, start some sort of employment. And so I started the company then. But also, I think I realized that people value what they pay for. Mm. I'm seeing this now with a client where where they become accustomed, like, you know, those quick little phone calls, right? They add up. And when people are paying by the minute, I saw this today, 
where when suddenly like that quick call, okay, that'll be, you know, I bill in 15 minute increment. Oh, wait, we're going to have to pay for that 15 minute. Oh, no, no, no. Then suddenly people become more respectful of your time. Mm. And it's very interesting. So there was some point where I realized like some projects took as long as nine years, like the taxi project, right? That's crazy to take that long. But can I just stop you? What did you do in taxis? So the technology that allows a person to bring sound directly to their hearing aid or cochlear implant, it's called an induction loop. One of the, one of the three types, you can have either an infrared, a point of light or an FM, um, which is based on radio frequency where you wear a headset or a neck loop around your neck. But there's a third type called an induction loop, which allows you to not wear a device because the loop is in the floor, the ceiling, the wall somewhere or on a device. And you switch your hearing aid or cochlear implant to the letter T and the sound electromagnetically comes to your hearing aid or cochlear implant. And so by doing that, um, you don't have to wear a, wear a device. Wow. Okay. But which, it took nine years to get it into it took the taxi. Into the taxi. It wow, took nine, nine years, years to get it into, ta- which is a really long time. And I realized like, but the problem that, People don't necessarily want to add the access. So if you put the, so the hurdle, and this is why there are no other companies. If you push, right, to get the access in, you need to quote push, right? But if you push, people don't hire the person who push, right? Because they're upset that you pushed and you forced their hand. Mm -hmm. And they're, but if you don't push, it doesn't go in. Mm -hmm. Because the problem with the ADA is, it's a federally unfunded mandate with no teeth. Mm. So there's no like, you, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you see the letter um, A, B, or C at the restaurant. There is no one reading access for people with disabilities. Mm. So therefore, the burden shifts to the person with a disability to file the complaint. And then there's no money for it. So the combination of nobody going around to police it, no money for it, people just take their chance. Um, and there is definitely a shift moving forward, at least in the cultural entertainment area, but not in the retail establishment that has not changed yet. And that's, you know, one of the areas I'm working on is shifting that, but in the cultural, I would say museums, there has been a dramatic shift forward, thankfully. Wow. So you've gotten into museums, taxis. Now, is this just in New York city or is it, it's, I know you've done work globally. So where, where have you made in, made inroads with this? So it's in um, theaters, um, retail shops, museums, um, airports, trains, airlines, subway information booths. It started in New York as a model of excellence. And then I rolled out to expanding and then expanding around the world. Now, around the world, some countries had a lot of access like the UK. And frankly, I copied from the UK um, and I track global best practices. And that's how I came up with the three-prong approach. So for example, in California, um, one of the museums that has it is the Getty Museum at both Lovely locations. Mm-hmm. And both locations had it. And that was from my approaching them about adding the access. But there are many museums in Los Angeles, for example, like the Grammy Museum, mm-hmm. um, the Broad Museum. No, um, I'm trying to think of some, the Japanese museum, I can't remember the name of it. No access for people with hearing loss. Um, because of cost, Janet, they don't want to play. Janice, they don't want to pay. I don't really know what it is because some of those museums are brand new 
state-of-the-art museums, like the Grammy Museum is a beautiful museum. And somehow all these museums figure out how to turn on the electricity, the air conditioning, right? And access for people with disabilities is another line item in the budget. It's not like a charity or a special sure. project. Sure. But it's the first, a lot of places view it as a slush fund, right? Like it's a place where you cut, right? If you need to mm-hmm. cut and you're getting tight on budget, okay, we'll cut that. Wow. Um, but it, it's disgusting that the Grammy Museum does not have it for, you know, people with hearing loss want to hear that vibrant music. So even if you have captions, can you imagine hearing, you know, songs like Tina Turner, just reading it when you'd want to, you know, listen to it or the Beatles, right? You'd want to hear the music if you can. And so it's really gross that a museum like the Grammy Museum doesn't have hearing access. So you're not just obviously creating awareness, you're advocating and, and trying to make change. And um, part of that, it sounds like you, you wrote in your bio that you traveled to 194 countries, territories, and unrecognized nations. Was that travel for pleasure or for work or a combination? Because you, you talked about be, you know, tracking best practices globally. It's kind of a mush because I'm a passionate traveler. And I love traveling. But as our family traveled, like the taxi project that I did, I saw that in the UK, in London. And I didn't, and when the taxi driver explained it to me, I didn't understand, like, how do we not have this in the United States and in New York? And so I brought that over. I got the drawings, the um, CAD drawings, and brought that to New York, the same for the subway information booths. But when I'm traveling, I will see bits and pieces of access in countries, like just this week. I was emailing, um, I attended a conference, you know, a webinar conference. And I saw, for example, and, and part of that was in somebody from Spain, Bahrain, and Turkey, right? And where is the access in their museum? So I would see it, let's say, in the airport in Spain, like in Barcelona. I would see it in, in Barcelona's airport or Madrid's airport, but I wouldn't see it in the museums. Hmm. In um, Bahrain, you would see, or or Jordan, another uh, participant in the car, I would see it in, not see it in Jordan, but I would see it in Israel right next door, right? And why would it be in one country, not in other country? Turkey had it, had the access in their airport, but it didn't make it to the museums. And there's this disconnect. And it, I think a lot of the times the problem is access falls in construction. And so it becomes something like to get your CFO but it's not part of um, a company or organization's DNA. And it, that is starting to shift as we're seeing DNI, you know, diversity and inclusion. But every time I keep seeing diversity and inclusion, it becomes importantly about race, but disabilities are forgotten. They're not always included as part of disabilities and inclusion. It's like, oh, right. Diver- and so I always remind people, that the D in diversity is for disability. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. Never heard that or never. I'm like, well, that's from me. But, you know, right? Like, but people don't think of diversity in terms of disability. Right. Which I find fast. I find that fascinating. Right. And again, I think it's just, you know, people pay attention to what's current or whatever. They're not thinking more broadly. But you mentioned at the beginning that the, uh, the is it the American Disabilities Act? I don't know if it's called the ADA was written 30 years ago. So unless people are paying attention, it sounds like you're the person who's been paying attention ever since your daughter's been born and trying to advocate. So what is your broader mission? Like, 
uh, when you, you're going to keep going until what? Until like, what's, what's your mission, Janice? Until I drop dead. Um, I mean, literally, like I will always do this until I die because I love doing it and it's important. And I think sometimes things happen in your life and it becomes your path and you don't know why, but this is somehow my path and I love it and I'm good at it. And so I will pursue, but my goal is to get this more broadly adopted and it's becoming easier. So, you know, there are companies like, for example, like drugstores, where adding the access to, let's say, a pharmacist, right? You're speaking to a pharmacist and you need to understand what the prescription is, mm, right? Big, yeah. That's and big. especially now with plexiglass and masks, it becomes harder. Oh, goodness. So true. So true. And I don't understand companies like CVS, Walgreens, you know, major companies don't have the access. But yet a company like Boots, which was previously owned by Walgreens, has the access in the UK. Why is that? Sounds and like the UK is doing a good job. They are in many parts where their problems are. They have the access. The problem is there's one company that um, sells the access like a plug and play where you plug it in, pl- unplug it. Mm-hmm. And the access gets unplugged because, you know, think about this. Well, everybody's always looking to charge something, right? These days. And so people just unplug it. And so having a portable induction loop doesn't work. It needs to be um, hardlined to make sure nobody unplugs it. And so you could have the access. And I've seen that, like, I remember being once in a hotel and they had the access, but it was in a closet. And that doesn't work if it's in a closet. It has to be plugged in. There have to be signs so people know, because people just don't go randomly asking, do you have the access? Because 99% of the time, the answer is going to be no. And Mm -hmm. so to not be repeatedly disappointed, you just stop asking. But if you see it, then you know it exists, and then you're going to use it. And access is not effective if it's not used, right? Do we know what the numbers are worldwide then? You said it 40 million, but you know, there's probably millions that aren't even recorded because people aren't self, you know, raising their hand and saying, yeah, that's me. Do we know the numbers worldwide or no? I want to say, and and I could be off on this because I, I don't remember the latest number, um, like 360 million. But the wow. problem, again, it's the numbers are not accurate because mm-hmm. you have countries, let's say in Africa, where people, you know, are people being counted correctly? You don't know. Mm. Um, and in some cultures, having a child with a disability is a shame, is still considered a shame. Mm. And kids are, you know, hidden. People may not disclose because they don't want the shame on their family. And so the numbers are not necessarily accurate. Mm. But it's still a huge part of the population. And so the work that you're doing is so important. Now, in that Forbes article that we were talking about where you went to the top, it said that you reached out to everyone from uh, President Barack Obama to the Queen of England. Now, did you meet with them or did you meet with people? Like, how did you get to them? <laughs> or did you get to them and and what came of that? Well, for the Queen of England, I, I wrote, um, I don't remember if it was in a letter. Or an e- I, it was a letter because I don't have her email address. It was a letter. Um, and then I received a, a letter back. Um, and then I was invited to join the International um, Advisory Committee for the Royal Collection. Um, Barack Obama, I met, he was not as receptive, I have to say, for all that he's done. I didn't find him particularly receptive for hearing access. Um, and he 
was not as happy. But I've met many people, whether it was uh, Richard Branson in uh, at a conference in Davos, and that's why now when you fly, you see captions on in-flight entertainment. That was came about from that conversation um, in Davos. And then Richard Anderson of Delta, I approached Richard Anderson of Delta, but again, it's, you know, so that was at a conference. Um, when I was taking a train on Amtrak, someone I was talking to that was sitting next to me had Richard Anderson, of the former CEO of Delta, his email address, and she needed someone else's email address who I won't disclose who's, I disclosed, I swapped, but we swapped. And, you know, women helping women. And I wrote to him and contacted him about um, a different issue. And then after I resolved that issue, I asked him about the captions based on what I was able to successfully accomplish with um, Virgin and Delta edited. And then once Delta and and Virgin edited, I included that in a request for comments for the Department of Transportation. And then Delta also added the induction loops um, in there. Every time they renovate an airport, they add that. And I'm in the process of trying to find out how many airports that's in now, but it's in quite a few. And then other airlines are following through. So for me, it's it's very easy to find everyone's email address. If you Google the person's name, email, you look for documents where people forget to redact, <laughs> right? And people are human. They make mistakes. I won't say who, but there was a prime minister, two prime ministers recently where I reached out to because someone left their email address on a document. And do they res- do you find that people respond or at least pass it to somebody who will respond to you? Yeah. I'm in the, I can't, I don't want to say whose email address it was, but in this one, one country, um, yes, it was passed on. Their assistant responded to me. I was trying to obtain information I couldn't about ferries. And the next thing I knew the information that I couldn't seem to obtain, I received. Wow. It just came. I'm wondering what advice you can give the women listening who might, you know, who are entrepreneurs, who are Maybe they just want to make change in the school system or in their communities because the example that you're presenting from your own work and your life's work is the power of a woman and her voice when she chooses to use it and believes in something. So what advice can you give to the women today based on, you know, some of your experiences and the way that you approach getting things done? Well, if you don't ask you don't, it doesn't happen. So, right. You start with a no and it can only turn into a yes. Right. So if you don't try, it's not going to happen. So that for me is I'm not afraid to try because like all I could do is fail. And if you work on a lot of different projects with a lot of different um, ways, this way you're, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Right. So when I was working on taxis, I was working on subways, I was working airports, I was working museums, theaters, this way, if one I hit a roadblock with one, I switched to the other, and then I would come back to it when that would free up. And so over time, I was able to move each one ahead because eventually people leave jobs, you know, different things happen. A new person comes in, something happens, a new administration. So then you come back. But the other thing I do is I keep a phone log. Um, and I talked a lot about this because... When I start working on a project, I, I note the date, who I spoke to, and what the we discussed and what the outcome was and the next step. Mm. And this way, if I 
let's say I don't work on a project, let's say for a year, two years, because it's at a standstill. I need a different administration. When I come back, I know exactly what I've done, who I've spoken to and what the next step is. I don't have to now suddenly remember what it was. And I've used this phone log where I've sent it to people. So when there was another point at the Department of Interior where I got, I was, Ellis Island wasn't accessible and I couldn't move even though we had guidelines and they're in place and they need to follow them, they're still not following them. But my contact had left because now he's at the Freedom Center. I didn't know who to reach out at that level. So I sent a scheduling request to the Secretary of Interior. And um, I included with that my phone log of every person I had spoken to, all the calls, all the meetings, all the conferences, the PowerPoints I had done for them. And it was 17 pages of phone logs, you know, not like a rambling thing, but these are like, literally like this date, this is what we did this date. This is what we did. And so it's a lot of meetings, a lot of calls, a lot of emails, a lot of everything. And the next thing I knew, I received a call from someone after I didn't have the scheduling request and I didn't need the meeting. I needed to get this done. And so um, I received a call from John Jarvis who was then um, not the director of national parks, but he became the director of national parks. And we ended up working on, I had a meeting in Washington, DC, and we ended up um, working to, I ended up working with a team to develop guidelines, which are um, on effective access at the national parks. And it's the first federal guidelines that define the term effective access. And then the national parks um, acknowledged my contribution on one of the pages. And that, once that happened, it, it, things became easier because then I was able to point to a document, a federal document that mm. showed what the access was and was consistent with my three-pronged approach. And Ellis Island is now accessible. But it, it, it wasn't in time for my daughter's school trip, but at least I was able to get it done. Wow. Okay. So we're just in terms of dissecting, you know, or the takeaways that I've gotten so far Go to the top, you know, when you want to get something done, be persistent, look for people's emails. Like, it, you know, it's not as hard to reach people as you may think. And um, you have to try. You exactly. To try. And, and I will say that one of the positive sides of data breaches is that everybody's email is available, right? <laughs> everybody's email is sold. You know, when you're purchasing from a company and you don't know if they're selling it, this is how you get people's email, but it works. And I, I mean, it's not as complicated as you think, but you have to be super organized. But I, my one other recommendation yeah. is follow, follow through. I would say over and over again, I see this, even in the disability world, people yeah. don't follow through. They say um, they're going to do it and they just never follow up. And then you never hear from them. And I think for the most part, people wait to see if you are going to follow through because they're not going to waste their precious time for someone who is not going to waste their time. So I learned this from Vernon Jordan. When I wanted a meeting with him, it, he took my call after the fourth call because he said, I, I contacted him the appropriate amount of times without being annoying. Mm. And so he wanted to make sure I was going to invest my time before he invests his time. Who's that? Who's Vernon Jordan? I'm sorry. Um, a, um, a major civil rights um, activist, now an attorney, and um, he's also coincidentally the cousin of Valerie Jarrett. But 
you know, and I learned that, but I see it myself. I will have, I had some, but two people in the disability community recently, recently reached out to me and they missed meetings. Everybody misses a meeting occasionally. It happens, right? But then they did it a second time and one person a third time. That's unacceptable, right? And, and so if you don't follow through, that's where I think a lot of the, and when people know you're going to follow through and you email them and you send gentle reminders and you put, that you're following through, like I'll put like some people, it'll take eight requests on an email. I will number them. I want them to understand I'm keeping track and no, I'm not going away. And when people realize that, like they respond. Yeah, this is great. Um, You had written in an article that I read that you wrote, never waste a crisis. What does that mean to you? What can we learn from that? Well, I think no matter what bad happens and you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it is really hard to see that there is a silver lining for it. Really hard. But my daughter's hearing loss could have been this crisis in my life. And it didn't, it became this opportunity for to affect change. And in, in, not only did I change access for people with hearing loss, but I also changed my life as well. So, um, and I saw that also like with my own personal journey, right? Like there was a point where my house sold after my divorce and I didn't know where I was going to go. And I was kind of at a loss. And at that time, I decided I was going to take a two-year sabbatical to travel. And I did. And like, I wasn't sure this was the right thing to do. What, you know, like, am I crazy? You know, am I like leaving my, all the work I've done? And I kept my hands in it. So it wasn't like I just walked away from it. But I, I needed that time for myself. And it turned out to be the best thing I have ever done in my entire life. And my two years ended literally the day before I had to fly home because the borders were closing. And for me, that was just like amazing. I went, ended up going to 50 countries and I had the most glorious year. Yeah. And do you, do you travel by yourself when you go? Sometimes by myself, sometimes with friends, sometimes with my daughter. Um, my son didn't want to travel at the time. He's, you know, of the age where he wanted to go with his friends, mm -hmm. but it was amazing. And I went from everywhere from Easter Island, Antarctica to Palau, to Iraq, to Eritrea, um, back to Spain, you know, like it was just unbelievable. And I did this on frequent flyer points. I had a lot of legal bills. And when I was paying off my legal bills, rather than write a check, I decided to use a credit card. And so what I decided to do was each time I would pay a bill, I would be, let's say in different increments, let's say three, I would do it in the amount of a sign up bonus. So I took out 80 credit cards and I earned over 2.7 million miles in sign up bonuses. And then, right from paying my legal bills, right? Which I had to pay. And I used that stash of points then to fund my trip. Wow. That's unbelievable. Before we wrap up with the three best tips for living a good life, I'm wondering if there's anything I didn't ask you that you want to add today. No, I think we covered um, a lot. I mean, I just think my best tips is like one, you know, is just live your life. Don't listen to other people. If I had listened to other people, I would have never spent done those two years of incredible travel because everybody, not everybody, but there were definitely people who were like, oh, it's too scary. Well, be thoughtful in how you plan. It's like everything. You know, if you plan thoughtfully, you use the right operators, the right travel agent or the right friends who are connecting you, 
things will be fine and things can happen in your own neighborhood. So, you know, I can get hit by a car in, in New York. So you have to kind of like disregard and get rid of all the haters, because if you don't get rid of those people, you will end up never doing anything. And it's really their issues are about them and their inability to do what they want to do. And what is amazing to me is that when you come back and you've done it, people are like, wow, that's so cool. And like, I thought you thought this was a bad idea, right? That's so funny. Yeah. Just there, so, yeah. I mean, that that is one of my big things is, you know, I think Eleanor Roosevelt said, people are going to criticize you no matter what you do. I'm paraphrasing what, whatever you do. So you might as well do it anyway. Um, and that's pretty much how I live because every, even the hearing access, I was regularly told by major hearing loss, a major hearing loss organization by the executive director. This was stupid not to do it. It didn't make it. The things she would say didn't make sense. Like the taxi project was stupid. The subways was stupid. And I'm like, whatever. And and then afterwards they think it's great or they just don't say anything. And I don't really care. You know, this is, I, I do me. And that's, I think a really hard thing to do is doing yourself. I think it's getting a little easier. I think the acceptance of, people being unique and different is much more accepted than let's say 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's becoming a lot easier. Okay. So that was your, so for the three best tips, I think you just started off with your first one. So you do you don't listen to everyone else. What would be two and three? Um, Surround yourself with smart people. Um, Having people who are driven and ambitious it lifts you up. Even when you're going through a hard time, people lift you up and when you lift them up. But I think being around smart driven people, it doesn't let you sink, right? You, you want to be around smart people and, you know, minus the haters, but then, then if you get rid of the haters, who do you add? Smart people. So look for interesting people. And where do you meet interesting people? One, I go, you know, not during the pandemic, but I'm doing it now on zoom. Um, I like to go to lectures and every community has, you know, either a university, a school where they bring in interesting people or whoever is selling their book and go to those. Many of them are free. And I I recommend this all the time. And um, the difference between a podcast and, and going to a lecture, you can engage with people. You can engage not only with the speaker, right. And asking a question, but you can engage with the people who are in the audience who can become friends mm, because if nice. they're there, it's because they like the same thing you do. Yeah. And especially I think for adults, it becomes harder after college to make new friends. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to meet people. It's great advice. This has been a really an inter- such an interesting conversation. I'm so grateful to you for the work that you're doing in the world. Where can people learn more about you and, and your work, Janice? Where can I direct them? Well, thank you, Michelle. I, I've had so much fun chatting with you. Two, two different sides. My advocacy work is on Janice, J-A-N-I-C-E, Lintz, L-I-N-T-Z dot com. And my consulting work is on hearingaccess.com. And my email address is all over the internet. So like, well, well I can reach we've me. learned from you now that we know how to find you. You just keep doing your, doing your research. Um, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for your, sh- for sharing your wisdom today. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation, and if you did, that you'll share it with a friend. 
Remember, show notes can be found at thegoodlifecoach.com. Now be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast players so you never miss an episode. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll reconnect with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.